Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Where we are as Christians is in a place where we're complete in Him. We are righteous because of what He has done. We have been sanctified and made holy because He offered His blood in heaven to cleanse the sin of the world. And then if we receive that sacrifice, it cleanses our spirit, gives us a new heart, makes us holy. He then comes to live within us. And from there forward, we have the Spirit of God in us. It's like a marriage in that God has spiritually joined Himself to us. And that's where we live from. And unfortunately, Christianity has been taught from kind of an externalist perspective. It's like, okay, yeah, God did all this stuff out there in heaven, and one day you'll get to be there. But until then, you have to pray and get God to react to you and come here and do things for you, and then he goes back into his dimension. And, you know, it's a separatist mindset of where God is and how we are related to him. And, and that's, you know, Christianity should be realized in that God lives in you now. And he always wanted to live in, he always wanted to be with his people and, and live within his people. <clears throat> so we're not on a pursuit of knowledge or information. So your problem is not that you don't know some things. Because when you know the spiritual reality of what and who you really are, you realize you have the mind of Christ. If you have said yes to Jesus, if you have received his sacrifice, if you are born again, you have the mind of Christ. You have the thinking and reasoning capacities of Christ from a spiritual perspective, not just intellectually. And he even says that, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Just say that, I'm a friend of God. Jesus says that of you. You're my friend. And then he explains it a little bit further, and he says a, a slave does not know what his master knows or doesn't know his master's business. And he said, you are no longer slaves. You I have, have been made friends. He says, everything that God revealed to me, I have revealed to you. I mean, think about that. Everything that God showed Jesus, Jesus has shown you. So it's not about information. It's not about you trying to engage God and get him to release things for you. Amen? Amen. So where is it? What is it? What are we trying to do? Why? What's the problem? Our problem, I think, ultimately is a lack of wisdom. And wisdom... Not in the sense that there's spiritual information that you now need to get. And I'll tell you what, charismatics are really good at that. Like there's some mystical spiritual information out there that you can really do some weird things and figure those things out. And you're just getting a different kind of information. Spiritual knowledge is not just a different kind of information. It's truth. Spirit is true. And the, the experiencing of spirit is truth. In other words, there is a reality that is truth. And that reality is 
before the fall in the garden, you saw perfection. And afterward, after the resurrection, you see eternity. Heaven is truth totally unhindered and manifest in its fullest extent. And truth is freedom, light, life, love, grace, mercy, everything that is good within God's kingdom, righteousness, peace, and joy is the ultimate environment of heaven. But see, God has already revealed that to you. God has already joined you to himself in Jesus. So spiritually, that is your reality now. And you're not now, you are no longer on a pursuit to learn some information to experience a new reality. Our pursuit now is acknowledge that I have already been engrafted into this new reality. And to the degree that I apply my heart into the finished work of Christ, I will experience that. So the nature of spirit is this. It's like a seed. And it will produce after itself. So to the degree that you can yield to the Spirit of God, the nature of spirit is that it's just going to do what it does, and that is produce life. That is produce health, joy, righteousness, and peace. It's all already within you true spiritually. It's just that we've got these hearts and we've been given dominion over this planet to have to agree with him and allow that spirit to influence us and this world because he can't just come in here and make all things happen. He, he's, he absolutely has the power to do whatever he wants to, but he's entered into an agreement with all of mankind for a set period of time, however long that is, until the resurrection, that we are in co-laboring with him. So naturally that brings us to quantum physics and <laughs> my, my geek out session that I, I love, you know. It's because it, it just, it paints a picture of God so vast that it's like if you look at the impact that God continually has on the universe, surely you can bring that down to your life and say, I think God could have an influence on my, if God can hold the entire universe together and make every single thing that is created work the way that it's designed to work, surely if I yield my life to him, my life will begin to be held together by him as well. So, you know, just to, just to kind of paint the picture here a little bit, you know, and I, I talked about it last week. But in Switzerland, there is a, there's a facility called CERN, C-E-R-N, and they're doing all kinds of tests and studies. Physicists have a problem because physicists say, we know what all the building blocks are and we know the functions and the organization of how everything works, but we don't know why it works. We don't know the unseen aspects of what actually makes all these building blocks hold together and become the things that we see in this universe. So, it, you know, it's like they can look at the chair, they can look at everything down to the smallest subatomic particle, but they don't know what is telling that thing to be what it is. In other words, they don't know the intelligence that is encoding all of creation to be what it is. 
So they're trying to figure that out. They're trying to figure out, okay, well, there must be some unseen particles and forces and all that stuff out there that holds everything together, that makes it work, that tells it what it's supposed to do. And so what they're doing is they're going to have an experiment where they've got these two 17-mile-long tubes and they're accelerating particles to the degree where they're going to collide them, break all the subatomic particles as, up as much as they can in hopes that because of creating a, a, a realm of disorganization and chaos, all of these unseen forces are going to show up and start to arrange all of this because that's just what's going to happen. We're going to create a state of disorganization on the smallest level so that we can force all these creative forces to show up and make this work. I mean, it's kind of like taking a watch and smashing it up to the pieces that you can't even see the pieces anymore, scrape all that stuff into a box and shaking it up and hoping that when you take the top off, there's going to be a watch there. That's, that's, what, that's on the par of what they're doing. It's order out of chaos that they're trying to do. You know, and if you studied CERN, you've seen they've got the god Shiva statue out there, and it's the god of death, and it's related to this whole Indian thing, but that's order out of chaos, which then goes into, you take a quantum leap into conspiracy theorists in the New World Order, and I know I just lost you, but if you've read that stuff and you're worried about it, because you think the new world order is going to flip on a machine to let all the demons out of hell so they can take over the planet, it ain't, ain't going to happen. Don't worry about that. Just quit worrying about that. I know you were really worried about that, but you can stop now. <laughs> but the point is, physicists have a problem. They know all the stuff that's out there. Well, at least 5% of it. 95% they admit. Oh, we don't know what that stuff is. But the point is, they can see that it works. The, here's the biggest problem that they have of why they are trying to find these things of randomness and put it all together, a model that, that, that shows this is how everything works, is because they admit that given the model that they have now, it looks like all of the universe has been designed for one reason, and that is to support human life on this specific planet. And they, they, they have a hard time with that. So they've got to make something else up because surely whatever is holding everything together does not have humans at its central focus. Science just has, it, it blows, blows a gasket on that idea. And that's what these guys say. They admit it. Physicists admit it. This model doesn't work. But it does work from the perspective that it looks like something fine-tuned this place for humans to exist. But we don't like that idea. They, they don't say we don't like that idea. They just say, but that can't be it. So because, you know, we're just organisms that crawled out of a pond and we've teamed and, you know, life is random and it just happened to produce life. And, you know, that whole process took millions of years. And, and for that to have happened, a, a creator wouldn't, you know, it's like it doesn't fit their model. The evidence that they have does not fit their paradigm. So they're looking for new evidence. We do the same thing with faith. We have the Bible. You have passages that say, He has given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That's the evidence. We have passages that say, I have given you all promises that He's ever made to anybody, or yes, and amen for you. 
Jesus said, you shall go into the world and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But we're looking at that going, I don't, I don't really like that or I, it's not working for me, so I need some new evidence, new information. I'll tell you, what I have to tell you today, you don't even need to hear it. But maybe the thoughts and the focus shift that it's going to create within you is what needs to happen within you. Like, I'm not going to give you new information that you couldn't find in your Bible or Google, but maybe we'll arrange it in such a way today that it causes your heart and mind to shift. But then that's, what's need, that's what needs to happen. My goal today is make you repent. Amen. And what does repent mean? Change your mind. Change the way you think. Because that's, that's, it's all about that. Physicists, you know, that's like really important. You, you all believe it now, right? Physicists, scientists say. But they recognize that creation, even, even subatomic matter, responds to the presence of humans. They'll do studies and they'll do all different types of observations. And they'll vary based on whether people are in the room or not, and they shouldn't vary. But human presence and human expectation is now changing the outcome of what should be repeatable scientific experiments. But humankind, and even what they expect the outcome to be, affects what these outcomes are in science. Doing it in experiments like the science says this should be the outcome. This person is in the room, it changes the outcome. Wait a minute, we didn't even think this stuff could act like that. So all the point is, even creation responds to the presence of humankind. You know, you know that, I don't know if you've seen the rice experiment and plants and all those kinds of things. It's really interesting. So, so what is it? Where are we in our Christianity? You know, I think we're in our Christianity at a place where we need to acknowledge the finished work of the cross to the degree that we are so rooted and grounded in what Jesus accomplished that we never ever have any other inner world created within us other than the peace that comes from knowing what he did for us. Other than the peace that comes from knowing that God valued us so much that he fine-tuned every piece of physical matter to facilitate life for humans on this planet so that we could have a relationship with him. I mean, science is testifying to the love of God for humans. And, and they have a problem with it. It doesn't make sense. All of this for humans, really? No, we're just these organisms that randomly produce life. It can't be that. Well, it is. Everything before, and we're going to read some passages here. Before he ever even spoke, it was so that we would experience his glory. All of the universe was created so you could be birthed and have a relationship with God. You're not random, you're not some organism, you're not a lesser than Christian because you haven't figured out what you're supposed to do. You are the glory of God because you have received Jesus. Amen? Amen. You know, this just came to my mind. I love this. This is so interesting. But in Hebrew, they didn't really know how to pronounce the name of God. 
which the, the word Yahweh, and it's not even really the accurate pronunciation. So when they would write it, they wouldn't speak it, and they would write, even like today, Jews will write the word God and put a dash instead of an O because it's a word that's not, you know, it's kind of been religified and like you're not supposed to write it or speak it. But, it, but the, 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 the issue is it's not that you're not supposed to write it or speak it. It's that you can't really pronounce what it's supposed to sound like. But this guy was doing some study on breath and the sounds of breath. And the, the name, the deepest, most profound name of God that we have in the Hebrew language actually sounds more like you breathing. Then you say in a word. Just you breathing is speaking and declaring the glory of God's name. Incredible. Man, if that doesn't give you chill bumps, I don't know what does. I mean, it's like God is, you were in, you, God has put so much in, intention into you experiencing his life. That religion has come in and created a wedge. The enemy has come in and created a mindset that we have to pursue knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, to experience the kind of life that God has for us. I mean, what do your children have to do to be your children? Breathe, right? Man, all right. So Proverbs 9.10, you know, our issue is not information. Our issue is not, God, you're outside of me. Let me do something to get you to show up to do something for me. He's already given you everything in Christ. Our issue is that it's a reality that we are not constantly engaged with because it is a spiritual reality, and spirit needs to be given time to manifest into our lives and into our worlds. But we actually limit it when we focus on the world and we worry about money, like in Mark 4, the the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things enters in and chokes the word. I, I really don't have any other message, honestly. I just try to figure out every week how to say different things to get to the same conclusion. So, you know, again, it's not information. Don't come here trying to figure out, oh, there's something I don't know. Maybe today I'll learn it. No, this place is a place to come in. And just see, it's like, it's like God has already painted everything that you ever need to know and be and see and all that. It's already painted. And we just look at different pieces of the painting every now and then. Sometimes we throw a sheet over that piece of the painting over there because we just would rather sin and feel guilty than, than take the time to actually pull that veil off of that painting and look at what, who we already are. And the thing is, can you put yourself into that finished painting that he's already painted with Jesus. Can you put yourself into the painting that he's already completed with the life of God, with the life of Christ? That's where we are. So the issue is wisdom, but wisdom not in spiritual information. We're talking about spiritual knowledge or spiritual experience. And we're going to get there. I'm going to, we're going to keep going. The beginning place of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge and of the Holy One is understanding. 
But Jesus, when he quoted an Old Testament passage that said, fear the Lord, he changed it to worship the Lord. And it's a word worship for intimacy and to blow kisses toward or to bow down onto your knees and put your head onto the ground. It's, it's an awe. It's a reverence of God that puts your mind in such it where you just sit there and look at it. It's just overwhelming. The, the goodness of God, everything that he's done to bring human life into this place, then you're at a place where you can allow wisdom to birth in your life. And wisdom being the interaction with a spiritual experience, wisdom is an interaction with spiritual reality rather than, oh, there's some mystical spiritual information that I need to go try and figure out. Like the keys, the seven keys to the seven spirits and the seven things of the wisdom and the spirit and the mysteries. Oh, man. How many of you have chased that rabbit? Secrets. If I could just get the secret wisdom. And it's spiritual, which makes it impossible. You know, I mean, gosh, we just run around trees that are just like, just stop. Watch this. Ecclesiastes 3.11. I think I asked them to put this up on the wall in the first service, and then I didn't read it. <laughs> I, I, you know, I want to paint a picture of God that's so big that you just see how much effort he put into creating this place for you to experience his kind of life. And wisdom will teach you how to do that. Watch. This is a... I love this. This is Ecclesiastes 3.11. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Ultimately, his spirit will take over everything. Death, hell will consume. That will all be consumed by his spirit. Now, there is the lake of fire that's after the resurrection. I'm not trying to say that everybody's eventually going to be born again. That's not where I'm going with it. I'm just saying the things that he has access to, the things that he has created, the realm in which we will live, from, live with him is ultimately going to take over everything. So he's also set eternity in the human heart. Wow. You know, we, you can't think of eternity as how big is it? You know what I mean? It, it's, a, it's a realm that's not necessarily a spatial realm. Like this room is a certain certain length, width, and height, and those are the three dimensions that are in this room. It's not a dimension that has space. It's a dimension that has a reality of existence, regardless of space. Does that make sense? And it's in your heart. He's put eternity in you. I love this. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning that's Old Testament. I'm going to read you a New Testament passage where it kind of reshapes that. And then it says, but he has revealed everything to us by his spirit. You read something like this in the Old Testament? Think there's a New Testament, the Testament in which there's a different spiritual experience for me because I'm in Christ. Does that change something like this? Amen. Shake it off. I know I'm giving you a lot to think about, but that's what I want to do. You know, I don't expect you to... This isn't one of those messages where you've got to walk out and you've got to have the notes of everything exactly that I said. 
I, I want to influence the way you're thinking right now so that you see God is incredibly big, incredibly wise, and seeking to interact with you and birth his life into your world. That's what he desires. 1 John 2, verse 20. I, I did a really long teaching on this on Wednesday night, which we're going to get posted up. But I went through a lot about anointing and the supernatural and all of that stuff. First John 2.20 says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One. Who? The Holy Who? The Holy Are you sure? Are you sure it's not from the traveling evangelist that came through town and gave you his prophetic anointing because he worked really hard and got 20 other impartations and now you can have it for free because all he did and suffered? And... You sure that's not the anointing that you have? I hope not. Wait a minute. Maybe you have the anointing of some recent revivalist and you've picked up his mantle. No. Is that the anointing you have? Now, some of you are laughing because you're like, I can't believe I used to believe that junk. Some of you are like, that didn't, we didn't talk about that in my church. Who is your anointing from? And all of you know the truth. Go to verse 27. I love it. I love it. 27. As for you, the anointing you received from... One, yes, thank you. <laughs> From him remains in you. The anointing you received from God remains in you. It doesn't need, see, it's in you, but will you yield to him so that his anointing comes upon you? It's like the Holy Spirit still leaves heaven to rest upon people to empower them, but heaven's inside, so we just need to let him come upon us by engaging our heart with what he's already done in that spiritual place. Does that make sense? The anointing remains or abides within you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you... Now, that is... That is this is my goal as a teacher and as a pastor, is to somehow bend your mind enough where you enter into a relationship with God where you allow the Holy Spirit to teach you. I cannot teach you how to let yourself be taught by the Holy Spirit. Nobody can. And anybody that tries to say they can, this is how you hear God. No, really, the classes that say here's how to hear God should say this is how I hear God. This is how I think other people might hear God. But how do you hear God? You, you, we, you can be taught and led by the Spirit. He says, <clears throat> you don't need anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. See, this is where we are. He has anointed us with His Spirit. In other words, He has set His seal of approval upon us. He has set a calling upon us. He has empowered us to walk out exactly where he would lead you to go. And he does not leave. When he says, I will never leave you, it's the same as saying the, the anointing abides within you because he is the anointing. You don't lose your anointing. 
Do you ever feel like you're praying and you're like, God, have you lifted your hand of mercy or your hand of blessing off of me? Or, I don't even know what those prayers are, thankfully. <laughs> but you've heard them. God does not lift his hand off of you. It's impossible because he's placed Christ within you. Now, that's a big aha for some of you, and you don't have to even listen to the rest of what I'm going to say, but I'm going to keep going. This is, um, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 2, 6. You know, unfortunately, <clears throat> walking down the path of being taught and led by the Spirit has been made a carnal pursuit. In other words, like I said earlier, there's this spiritual information that you can somehow perform spiritually enough to get, and then you'll know all these things. No, it's been revealed to you by His Spirit. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 6. However, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Next one. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Man. A, a wisdom, a mystery. The wisdom is this mystery destined for your glory before time began. I mean, you know, spend some time meditating on that verse. That means, just like we were talking about this whole universe being fine-tuned to support human life, even God's spiritual mystery wisdom has been fine-tuned for your glory. You know, we think, God, I'm worthless. I'm nothing. I'm meaningless. How do I beseech you and enter into your glory? And he's like, my glory was for the purpose of you receiving it and experiencing it from the first place. It's yours. I created you so that you would be in me, and I could glorify myself through you. It's what he wants to do. It's not something we have to convince him to or to figure out how to get him to do it. Well, where were we? Verse 7? Let's go to the next one. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would, have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9. Verse 9. However, now this is a reference back to what we just read in uh, Ecclesiastes and other places as well. But <clears throat> this is, you know, most people just read this. You ever heard somebody quote this? I'll read it and then you can say, yes, I've heard people quote that. But, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor, and what no human mind has conceived. You know, and King James says, it has not even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them, for those who love him. But these things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Don't ever say that. In fact, when you quote a scripture, before you quote it, read the ones before and after it to make sure that you're holding it up to the cross 
and you're not baptized into an old covenant mindset, doesn't this change everything? It has not entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But he's revealed it to you through his spirit. Oh, uh-oh, my excuse is gone. These things God has revealed by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows what a person's thoughts, who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them in the same way no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. How far are we going? What verse is that? That's 11. One more verse. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. God doesn't want you confused. God doesn't want you chasing mysteries. God doesn't want you chasing anointings. You don't need to chase anything because you have received his spirit, verse 12, for the purpose that you would understand what he's freely given you in Jesus. You ever feel like there's something I don't know, God? If I could just know this, then it would all come together to work. You ever felt like that? And somehow it's elusive and I don't know where it is and I don't... If I, could just, if I could just get this working, if I, could just, if I could just know this. Well, he's revealed it to you by his spirit. So you would know the things that he's already given you. <laughs> it's, so, it's so interesting to me. It's like, okay, here, take everything. I'm going to give it all to you. But I know that you're not going to be able to just believe that. So here, take my spirit also so that I can teach you how to look at the things that I've already given you. Wow. It's grace for grace. He gave you the blessing, and then he says, now here, let me help you look at it and experience it and believe it to the degree that you begin to let it grow into your life. Do you see that? I gave you my spirit so that you would understand the things that I've given you freely. Ecclesiastes goes a little bit further in this idea, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that Solomon, who was David's son, the wisest man on the planet, and ended up with 3,000 3, wives and 700 wives. Yeah, a little bit off. Huh? How many concubines? A thousand? A thousand total. A thousand women, whether they be wives or not, That's not very smart, is it? No. Wisdom is not about information. Wisdom is not about how smart you are, obviously. If he were the smartest man on the planet, he'd stick with one. And I don't mean for negative reasons. I'm not trying to be derogatory. I'm just saying. It's not about smartness. Wisdom is, can you shift your reality, your thinking, from this world to God, and then make changes within how you see the world and live from a new perspective. That's wisdom. That's why hu humility teaches wisdom. The very definition of humility is I can set down what I think about myself and receive another person's perspective, Amen. hopefully God's. And in that is wisdom. In that is I can, I can then 
think a different way. See, all this stuff is so intertwined together. We think that there's wisdom and there's repentance and there's sanctification and like all these doctrinal things. And it's like, no, it's just, it's just like all these different ways to come at the same way to get you to think and realize wisdom is ultimately just the you being able to repent and see God's already revealed reality. In fact, he gave you the, his spirit so that you'd see it. Yeah. And as you see it, as you see it in your heart specifically, then it is established into your life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of your heart flow all the issues of life. Philippians 4. We're going to start in verse 6. Because this is where we're going. So Solomon, even though he was incredibly wise in that, even in the midst of most difficult circumstances, he could turn his attention to the Lord and reconnect with what the Lord had taught him or had revealed to him. That's really, truly what wisdom is. I can put away the world and I can turn my attention toward God's realities and God's truths and I can begin to rethink based on his finished work in Christ. I think that's the process of wisdom. So where we are is like where Solomon was, and he, would, he was whining and complaining, and he got down to the end of his life, and he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he looked, and he's like, oh, man, it's just all worthless and meaningless. And then he says this, this curious phrase over and over. He says, but I applied my heart to wisdom. I applied my heart to understanding. And so I see that the Lord so-and-so, so-and-so. The, it, the change for him would come when he would apply his heart to wisdom and apply his heart to under... But what wisdom? See, this is where we are. God is in us, or Christ is in us, but he's abiding within us, but are we abiding within him? He's given us everything, but are we trying to get stuff in our own strength or are we resting in what he's already given us? Wisdom will teach you how to rest in what he's already given you. The beginning place of wisdom is an awe and a respect for the Lord. And then your heart will, you, you, you just stop limiting yourself. But see, we don't like this way of thinking because we want information and steps. Tell me something I don't know and then give me some steps of what I'm supposed to do. And God says, there are no steps. It's done. To the degree that you'll let yourself see it and believe it, you will experience it. Man, that's the mystery. That's the mystery. So how do you apply your heart to wisdom? How do you continue to take the veil off of what he's are, the painting that he's already finished into your life with Christ? How do you shed more light on that so you see the whole picture? How do you apply your heart to knowledge? How do you apply your heart to wisdom, I mean? How do you do that? Well, here's one way. Don't make this a formula. And don't say because you did this, then that means that God owes you. But it's all about allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us so that it will show us everything that he's already given us. Am I the only one that thinks that's funny? You know what I mean? It's just, it's just so paradoxically interesting that it's like, wait a minute, you've given me everything and you've given me spirit that teaches me how to look at how you've given me everything. 
What am I doing? Philippians 4, 6. <clears throat> Again, slightly paradoxical. We talked about that this two weeks ago, but I'm going to go through the rest of it. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, uh, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Stay there for a minute. So the issue is, or what we're talking about here is, don't be anxious, but pray about everything. That means your prayer shouldn't be fueled by anxiousness. Then he says, with thanksgiving, present your requests. We present our requests with lack, right? We present our requests with an emotional plea to move God because look how difficult this situation is here and you should move and act and do something about this, God. What's wrong with you? Why are you letting this happen in my life? Don't you see? Don't you You ever done that? That's not what moves him. He's already moved. Amen. And he says, here's my spirit. You just got to experience this different reality. And the nature of spirit is this, that as you behold it and experience it, it grows into your life and bears seed after itself. You know, that is so simple, but it is so complex to get that concept. That if you were to just put the spirit of God into this room, without it having to filter through a human heart, what would it do to this planet? What would it do to your life? And see, that's what we do. We think, God, please show up. Because if you could do something in my life, I would be experiencing something different. And he says, no, I've already given it to you in your heart. Walk with me. Let my spirit teach you how to reveal it into this world. You know, you can't really, you can't really fully explain that, that spiritual process, that, that reality. So he says this. Go to verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, now this is how you apply your heart. You apply your heart to wisdom by shifting your focus, the way that you think. Now, I'm just going to read the Bible here. There are no other mysteries and secrets out there to try to figure out. But it's, it's just too simple. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, all right? What is true in your life, in your situation, the area of difficulty that you're having connecting to what God has already done in Christ for you, think about that area, and then think about, okay, what is actually true in this situation? That means you might need to get in the Word and read your Bible a little bit to find some promises that relate to your situation. It might even mean you find some principles in the book of Proverbs and you begin to live that way not to get God to give you something, but so that you're just aligning yourself with God's ways so that you're not limiting His growth into your life. See, performance is always a root, I mean a fruit. External behavior is always a fruit of what's going on in your heart. But you can align your external behavior so that it's not creating destruction and chaos and, and, and distraction in other words, stay out of sin. Say, I'm going to stay out of sin. 
Some of y'all need to say that a little bit louder on that one. <laughs> All right, this is, ask yourself, you know, I, I hit this a couple times a year probably. Whatever your situation is, ask yourself, what's true? I'm dealing with this, but in light of what Jesus has done, what's true? Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. You ever think unlovely thoughts? Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, that sounds like thankfulness to me. We're good at picking out the stuff that's not excellent, especially in each other. But if anything is excellent, that means look for the excellence. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. One more verse. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Again, the legalistic perspective would say, just do right, then God will bless you, he'll be with you. But no, that's not what it's talking about. All of that, you, you, can't, you can't go back to that way of thinking when you've already come to the understanding that God lives in you and he's given you everything through the finished work of Christ. So now your job, your call, your mandate, your commission is to apply your heart to the wisdom of the finished work of the cross. Apply your heart to the best of your capacity to what he has already accomplished in Jesus. And to the degree that you engage in the finished work of cross, the cross in your heart and in your mind, you will begin to experience those realities in your life. It's just the way that the Spirit works. So do this. Start this way. And we can even make this a mental exercise, and you can pull that down. But when you just try this this week as you pray and as you're going about your life and whatever it is and, you know, in the moments that you turn your acknowledgement toward God. Try this. See Jesus before the Father. Okay? Now, it's going to be a worshipful type of thing, but what you want to do is see Jesus before the Father. And notice Jesus. In other words, what state of existence is he in before the Father? Well, he's the Lord. He is righteous. There's no way that he would ever enter into sin. There is no sickness within him. He is pure light. He has received everything that the Father has in his death, burial, and resurrection. He is well, healed, whole. I mean, you look at him, and, and to the degree that you can see just how glorious and beautiful and complete and amazing and powerful that he is, become aware of that to the degree that you realize that, that it is the very sound of his voice that is keeping everything together. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And you see just the incredible majesty of Jesus to the degree that you get pulled into that and you begin to identify and you realize I'm a joint heir with Jesus. That's applying your heart to wisdom. That is applying your heart to truth. Because if it's true of him, 
not that you're going to become the Messiah. You're not going to become God. I don't mean any of that kind of goofiness. But as he is, so are we in this world. So how is he? And can you identify with him to the degree that it becomes true of you? You feel that it becomes true of you, that it is true of you as well. And the nature of spirit is as you behold him, as you acknowledge him, then those realities are, are grown into your life. You can't make it happen. You can't convince him to show up and do something that he's already done in Jesus in that spiritual place. You can only so become aware and identify with what he's done that, that, that when you open your eyes, it's like, that place is more real than this place. Or that state of existence is more real than this. I've talked to a lot of people about healing. And, and you know, people, we don't really try, I mean, I absolutely believe in healing. I think we absolutely, when people need prayer, we should pray for them. I don't know that we need to try to run around and try and chase everybody and get them to let us pray for them. If God calls you to do that, then you do that. But, man, people can get healed but then it comes back and get healed and comes back and get healed and die because it's not a reality. It's not their own reality in, and of, in, in their own hearts. I have watched people that go through this process of beginning to identify with Jesus. It's like they start learning about identity rather than seeking healing. And then all of a sudden they wake up and it's like, you know what? My cancer has gone. I, I, don't, I don't crave that sin habit anymore. It's like you notice the fruit of the Spirit in your life rather than trying to get God to show up and do something that you have no part to play in. That, that's, 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 I think that's the lie of religion is that you just let the priest do his thing and you sit here and one day it's you know, judgment and this or, or you know, whatever. I don't know. We have criticisms of all of our denominational backgrounds, but <laughs> can you do that? Can you so identify with who Jesus is that, it, that you begin to be consumed into it to the degree that you experience that joint airship with him? Father, I, I thank you for teaching us how to do that. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Thank you for living within us. Father, thank you that the salvation that you've given us in Jesus is complete. And we purposefully in our minds and in our hearts decide to set our attention toward you. We decide to have faith toward you. We intend with everything within us to see Jesus and allow your spirit to teach us and show us the things that you've already given us to the degree that those things just become realities in our outer world. Father, we just want to yield to you. We just want to follow you. We only want what you intended before you created everything to come to pass in our lives that we reflect your glory on this planet in righteousness, peace, and joy.